Welcome to this episode of Mia Lux and Love, brought to you by Levette, an intentional dating platform for self-aware singles. And today, you know, we're exploring, I guess, kind of the cliche that in order to really love, you must first love yourself. You know, what does it take to heal so that we can find and create healthy love? And it's interesting, I've definitely seen this in my, you know, my own life, but also in the lives of many of the singles who are part of Levette, who've been part of the Levette journey, which is that, you know, often when we have something that's not working in our love life or something that's not working with our dating life or, you know, we're dating the wrong people over and over again, there's this inevitable realization somewhere down the line that maybe it's us. You know, the common denominator in all of our relationships is ultimately us and, you know, choosing certain kinds of people. And so when it comes to intentional dating, really getting aware of our patterns and figuring out what they are and healing them is such a huge step in the journey of creating amazing love. So we're exploring that today. And my guest is the amazing Beat Simpkin, who is a world-renowned spiritual teacher and best-selling author. They dubbed her the, the David Bowie of meditation because she's a musician and she really kind of weaves the world of, of pop culture and spirituality together. You know, she creates her own amazing, beautiful musical tracks, and she's led, you know, meditations with thousands of thousands of people in unusual places, blending kind of like fashion and art and music with this sort of spiritual approach. And uh, you know, she has her own amazing story, having you know gone through you know a lot in her life, including recovering from a heroin addiction, uh, you know, and in this podcast that she'll share, recovering from her own patterns of you know chasing and picking the wrong people over and over again in order to find and build the amazing marriage she has with her, her now husband of almost 14 years. So if you are curious about what it takes to heal, to find healthy love, then I hope you enjoy this conversation. Bea, thank you so much for jumping on and joining me for this episode. And, and going to this question, which I, you know, I, I, I'm so fascinated by, and I know a lot of our audiences too, how can we heal to find healthy relationships? Because we talk about this a lot, this idea that if you want to create healthy love, you have to work with yourself first, but it can feel really abstract. It can feel kind of a, an esoteric, nice to have Instagram meme versus like, what does it look like? How does it, how does it practically unpack? And one of the best ways to do this, I think, is to look at examples. And um, I'm excited for, for the audience to hear your story today as one of those amazing examples. So again, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, Mia. And you know, I can speak on the larger scale, you know, it really is important to be really um, no holds barred and no bullshit, right? So I think that a lot of people have a lot of like really heavy therapeutic ideas about how things are going to get better in their lives. And, it, and I think that a big misconception is actually people feeling like if I was just more open and like shared all of my needs and feelings with another person, then it would be better like that kind of thing. And that can become very tedious as well. People who are like working on themselves, like trying to like come together and like constantly process everything 24 hours a day. Like that doesn't sound fun to me at all. So I think the main thing for me, like when I talk about the transforming that space is floating above yourself, really using a tool that I share in my book called divided attention, where you just float above and you see yourself from above, like, like you're a director of a movie and you're the star, right? And you're watching yourself in this movie and you're like, wow, I really text this person a lot. Or wow, like I'm really obsessive when I have a crush on someone and I objectify that person. Or, oh, interesting, when I'm out to lunch with my girlfriends or whoever, I yab on about this person that I'm obsessed with. And noticing those kinds of trends, that's just one example. 
or if you're a man per se, I feel like women tend to trend in the direction that I just described. Men tend to trend in sleeping with a lot of people, being afraid of commitment, being like, like finding someone who's really hot, but a super bitch and being like, this is the right person for me, right? So I think these are the trends. And the truth is, is we fall asleep in very common trends and we wake up in very common trends. There's, there's a common trend. Like when I look around my life today as a very healthy person and a healthy relationship with healthy baby and healthy life and blah, blah, blah. I look around and it's like, it's not different from other people who are having a healthy life. It is archetypal, right? So if you're archetypally lost and archetypally dating the wrong person over and over again, there's a way to wake up. It's, it's just a couple ways like no one's coming at you with some brand new thing. Like if I have the truth, it's going to be not that different from someone else who has the truth. But isn't it amazing? Like what I'm hearing or what I think really strikes me from that is that this area of our life, which we take so personally, we really think like, yeah. oh, it's just me that's like this. Or I'm wired in such a complicated way. Or we have these stories about how it's like our own complex whatevers. Um, yes, yeah. I agree with you. I think actually if you do take a step back, there are patterns, there are very predictable patterns and the patterns are clues, right? And what we're looking for today is like, what is this healthy pattern? Like, I know you're right, you're happily married, family, you've got an incredible career, you're one of the most, I'd say, expressed, happy, kind, passionate people. Like, what's the happiness pattern? Right, what is it? I mean, I think the first part of the happiness pattern is just waking up to your bullshit, right? And, and not being afraid to see yourself as an ugly, you know, kind of like, you know, like really see how gross you are, because if you don't see that, you're never going to wake up from the dream. You know, if you think about it, like, you know, because that stuff is really delicious, right? Like fucking the wrong guy and, and, and having that edgy, you don't know if he's going to come or go. He's not quite there. He's not really available. And it's four in the morning. And it's so like, it's sexy because it's completely destructive and completely un, like it's not sustainable, right? Like it's totally sustainable for four hours to be with the wrong person. And so I think that over and over, if you're doing that, not you, but like if someone who's watching this is doing that unsustainable pattern over and over. And the other thing is the stickiness, right? It's like, do you notice that after you have had intimate times with someone, which by the way, I don't recommend people doing when they first meet someone. Like, I'm like, why, why is there dick inside you again? Like, I don't understand. Like to me, it's like, how did, how did you gather the information within 48 hours that this person's dick is worthy of your fucking pussy or vice versa? Like, I remember once I was having a conversation with my friend who was a really close friend of mine growing up and he was a man. And he was a really, really good looking man. Like really like, you know, like one of the best looking men on the planet. And we're sitting there talking and he's like, this is my dick. And he said, like, I don't let anyone touch my dick except for my woman, right? And this guy, he was married at the time. And I was just like, that is like, I've never heard a guy say that. I've never heard a guy speak about his dick in that way because men usually think it's just some wonderful challenge to see how many holes they can stick this thing in and you're like oh no this is a precious package that only one woman shall receive you know and then he said something to me to the effect of like how would I know that someone is worthy of this cock and all I'm gonna and I was just like 
this is the answer. Like this guy has it figured out. And I think if we all saw our genitals in such a precious way and not just was like, oh yeah, like I received in those two hours that we had dinner together. Now I know that you're worthy of this and we're totally on the same page. Generally people meet, they have dinner, they drink, and then they have sex. And like, here are some things they didn't cover over dinner. Do you wanna be in a long-term relationship? Are you interested in monogamy or polyamory? Are you gay, straight, bi? Um, what, like, these are just like some, like, what are you, do you wanna live in the East Coast or the West Coast? Are you interested in being the breadwinner in a family or do you wanna be like more of like a matchy-matchy equals kind of couple? Like, don't you wanna know these things before you like sleep with someone if you're looking for a real relationship? It's interesting though, because like, you know, I think this is where we look at well, what role does has, what role does sex play? What role has sex played? And, you know, I mean, I love this idea of like, we, my friends and I were joking the other day about how no one talks about sex with the person they're having sex with. Like it's hysterical. We, like most mm -hmm. people now, like, I know you're squinting, you're like, who does that? Who doesn't do that? No, a, no. Lot of people, a lot of people don't, right? Like you yeah. go into this thing where sex is in some way, like people can see it as a trade some people see it as letting down a gate like versus it being like oh sex is the next step of exploration like once you've done exploration this plane the next step is like oh what is it like to be together physically right and right. I think it's like there's and to your point like why why is it like that I mean I know from in my life it was and I would say I was extremely guilty of that behavior for me sex was like I'm like what's sex sex is just like I used to say I'm not going to date someone until I've had sex with them why would I date them unless I knew what they were like in bed <laughs> it was like the yeah. opposite and right. I had a story around it but ultimately, mm. like, ultimately as you get older what I learned was that while that might have been my conscious explanation my the unconscious explanation was of course I had decades of sexual abuse in my life and you know it was mm. that classic thing of I was creating I was unconsciously replicating a type of dysfunction I picked up I think a lot of us it doesn't have to be that extreme but I think a lot of us do have unhealthy patterning training that we we got when we we're younger the reason why i don't think we automatically create healthy love isn't because we're bad or stupid it's just that every example we had and the training we had was suboptimal <laughs> right like if yeah. you think about you like you are a conscious response to the dysfunction that you know you chose and created your life the way it is i don't think it was role model to you right no i don't, I don't but the weird thing too is that it doesn't always make sense right like my father was this you know, like my, fa my father was very loving and worshiped me and like told me I was beautiful my whole life and put me on a pedestal and was like, you're the only one, you're the one, you're my daughter, you're like number one, most beautiful woman on the planet, like never judged me for being overweight or never said like, don't eat that cupcake, like nothing like that, just was like gorgeous, you're gorgeous, you're perfect. And so you look at that and you're like, well, how did I end up with body dysmorphia? Where did I get it? Like, who knows, right? Because sometimes it isn't as straight ahead as, oh, well, daddy said, don't eat the cupcake. And I learned that blah, blah, like sometimes it's something much more hidden. Or another thing is my father was a cheater and he cheated on my mom all the time and then had endless affairs with many inappropriate women and much younger than him, all this stuff, right? Like the, the guru, the, you know, guru man. And I grew up seeing that, but yet I didn't date men who were like that. You know, like I didn't go out and was like, ooh, you're like a skeevy dude who just wants to bang me. And like, I no, that wasn't my type. So I'm interested to see how like we can also mask, like we fall asleep in the ways 
that we fall asleep because of ideas that we come to. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's interesting. And so then I'm curious, like if we're all in some version of a starting point, let's say we haven't spent much time unpacking, getting that distance. The first step you're saying is like, just become aware of your own bullshit. <laughs> Start to get that, like you said, that divide awareness so you can have some awareness of yourself as you're behaving and and really start to track that once you have an awareness like how how do we shift our behavior how do we what what has to shift what's next well i think there's a it's an important to do like a real thorough inventory of who you've been in the past Mm -hmm. you know whether it's on paper or with a with a spiritual teacher or coach or something where you actually look at this is who i was and these are the ways in which i was dishonest and uh, manipulative and um what else what are some other like lovely characteristics that we usually portray anyway just kind of like a, a laundry list of your dirty your dirty laundry and seeing it on paper really helps i find to see what what's working and what's not working and also why am i repeating the same patterns of selfishness and self-centeredness over and over and over again so for me that was really helpful i got it all on paper and i looked at it and i could see that there were certain trends that really had a through line i liked unavailable men i really liked them the most and in fact if you were available i wasn't interested in you i also had a belief that if you were really, um, what's the word, like amazing, that that was somehow boring or, um, you know what I mean? Like if it was like, if it was all good on paper, that was boring. I wanted it to be kind of dark and sinuous and dangerous and some on some level. And I saw that I was really needy. That was one of my special, special ingredients, like a really like clingy, like I would find someone who was again, unavailable, force them into a relationship with me. And then be confused as to why they were rejecting me, even though they weren't able to, like I never found men who were like actually breaking up with me. They would just kind of torture me within the structure of sort of being together, if that makes sense. Like the pseudo, you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I mean, and I think that's a, it's a relatively common thing. I'm sure everyone's had a version of it and I've seen many of my friends be in that dynamic over and over again. And this, it's weird because I think that's when you don't have the awareness, I do think there's a strange kind of mm. emotional payoff to it. Like some part oh, of us yeah. is like, it hurts so good. <laughs> you know? uh, yeah. And you don't have to be, you don't have to be with, I remember when I first fell in love with my husband, it was really uncomfortable because I could feel that he wasn't leaving. Like he was really in it to stay with me and he wanted to be with me for the rest of his life and that was immediate for him and I just knew like we were sleeping together and I just could feel this like god this is this is hard like I'm so used to associating love and the feeling of love with something that is fleeting or ephemeral and so to now have to redefine love for myself at that time, this was you know almost 14 years ago, but when I had to redefine love as something that was constant and steady and stable, that felt really un- like not unsafe to me, but it felt unsexy. And, and well, unsexy is a, is a great word because I think I had the same thing, which was like, I, mine was different, but when you gravitate towards healthy love, like my stereotype about it was like, oh, but it's so, it's so like, lights on the middle of the day boring versus like moody candle lit with 
oh yeah yes right in my head so i'm curious yeah. I, I had to rewire it too and i'm curious like how did you reframe it how did you retell the story of love so that you could choose your husband and lean into that relationship i guess i just realized that what i had felt before wasn't love it was lust and it was danger and it was um you know, my deep unconscious desire to be alone, which I, I think is, you know, is fair. Like I think aloneness is so delicious. And as a woman who is a mother of a toddler and married and in a house with people and nannies and freaking employees and, you know, interns and, you know, people everywhere all the freaking time. Like I totally get why I spent my entire twenties chasing unavailable men because it gave me so much time to just saunter around in this ennui of confusion and loneliness and write poetry and songs and do heroin which is you know my story not everyone needs to do heroin but like I loved that suffering I loved it and I actually had to sacrifice my suffering to be with my husband because once I was really with him I mean that just I never had that again. I never had that kind of loneliness. And I actually had to reframe what love was. And so what I decided at that moment was that love for me was a relationship between me and my soul. Or love for me was a relationship between me and what I call God. I'm not religious, but I believe that there is a ephemeral entity that is unknowable, but um, but everywhere and part of everyone and connects us all as one. And I am one with that thing. And I'm in love and in devotion to that thing. And the way I see it is I fell in love with that, which I call God. And my husband is someone who hangs out with me while I'm in love with God. And I see him, my husband, as someone who is in love with God too. And the reason that this works is that I feel like we both derive our energy and our spirit from above. We don't get it from each other. We're not vampires. I don't come to my husband to confirm that I'm sexy, that I'm hot, that I'm worthy, that I'm good enough, that, I'm, that I have a purpose on this planet. He is not responsible for making me feel those things. I come to him full and then I give him love. And he does the same thing. And so we're both just constantly receiving and giving to one another. There's no taking. And I think that is the absolute best formula. And isn't that such a, like such a shift from I think our traditional notion of what a relationship looks like, which is, and I think about the dating process a lot where it's for so many people, they think of it almost like a negotiation. Well, I'll give this and you'll give that and we'll give it. And there's, and there's this weird like tit for tat yeah. transactional nature that can happen when people are building relationships versus this you know, beautiful model of being whole and filling yourself up first and then yeah. and then being in a, in, a, in a giving relationship with somebody. And then you go, well, if that's the case, which I agree with you, I think it is, how you select a partner, like who you're gonna hang out with while being in love with God is very different, right? Because <laughs> all those unavailable men or whatever, whatever pattern we have, those, those kind of characters when we're in that mode require being in that energy it's like i think it's almost impossible to engage with someone like that if you are filling yourself up and making yourself whole it's kind of a, it's mm. a very um it's like such an incompatible experience so then maybe we could talk a little bit about falling in love with god because you know we talk a lot about working with ourselves to make ourselves i guess have the capacity to have healthy relationship and this sounds like a really important step 
What are some of the ways that you built that relationship and fill yourself up? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's not just that I have that, and I'll speak to that I, I do have that, but it's also that my partner does too. So choosing a partner that have, has that and has that. And also once I was married, or even when I was just not married, but with my husband for many, many years before we got married, there were so many relationships that happened after that, like bandmates and creative collaborations and photo shoots and film shoots and things where I was in an environment where creation was occurring. And to me, that is where all that sexual energy went. Like I, I have it with my husband. He's my number one. That's where the sex goes. But people ask me, you know, they're like, well, why don't you, you know, go around and like have sex with other people or that, you know, I have friends who've suffered with where they all of a sudden really want to do infidelity and experience new and fun things with new and fun people. And I'm like, well, I just always take that to creation because you can, if my love affair is with God again, or what, again, I'm not religious. So I want to be clear. It's not like a bearded Christian guy that I pray to who whips me and tells me that I'm not good enough. That is not what's happening. But I just, I have a relationship with this ephemeral unknowable source. And what do I do? Like, I ask that source in prayer every single day, what do you want from me? What can I do for you? What's my purpose on this planet? And that voice or that inner knowing tells me what to do. And then I obey. I have an obedience to that voice. The other thing is I get loved on. Like um, I get loved on by that universal energy. And then I also look around myself to make sure that my friends and my mentors and my mentees, my clients, everyone that I surround myself with is irradiating a similar frequency of love that I'm experiencing from that divine source. So if I meet someone out in the world who isn't vibrating at that similar frequency, I already know that's not going to work. That person is not a match for me. That's interesting. So then, so then you're making your whole network of support, people, colleagues, everything you're creating is, is let's say resonant, uh, compatible. <laughs> Yeah. Well, God and the universe, God, spirituality, whatever you want to call it is, is made out of music, right? It's made out of, there's only eight, there's seven notes, but eight, do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, si, do, right? It's like eight and around the eighth is the same as the first, of course, because it's like, you know, the infinite symbol. And those numbers are, you know, move through everything in the universe. So it's not like, once you figure that out, once you understand what the resonance and the frequency of the divinity feels like you're able to find it out in the world you just know what it feels like because it is a feeling it is a frequency and we are all you know and I have you know I mean I'm a human being so I can get confused like I'll have business meetings with people where I'm like oh that felt really good and then it won't be a match and I'll realize later it's like this person that I met with maybe felt good on a egoic level but they weren't on the same frequency as me. And I have to remember that like they use, there's a saying that, um, what is that? Oh, rejection is God's protection. You've heard that. Right. right? Yes. So it's kind of like, yes. so when something's not a match, it's like, well, no one who, no one who's part of my frequency could miss this. And just like, and that's another thing that I remember saying a lot when I was with my husband, his name was Christoph at the beginning was there's nothing that I can do to make this go wrong nothing like if it's meant to be 
So that made me really relaxed. Like I was like, I don't have to work really hard. I don't have to try. I just have to be myself because like, there's nothing that I can do to lose this if it's really mine. Yeah. And it's, and it sounds like, you know, that, you know, once you've shifted into that reframe around what love is and what a relationship looks like, I can imagine how powerfully that carries you through. I mean, many, many years now. Um, but I'm even oh, yeah. curious because I know like most, like a lot of the people I talk to who are single and who are dating and who are having these issues, it's almost like the healthy people are invisible to them. And you talk about like resonance, but it's almost like, and I, I, I totally experienced this too. It's like you're filtering out healthy love because you're filtering in whatever drama cycle you have, right? And, mm-hmm. you know, I know obviously getting aware of your patterns is a big part of that, but I'm curious, like for you, when you met your husband, like how did you, how did you have this, I guess, like the, the vision to filter him in? What, what it, had you been working on yourself? Like what shifted that when this healthy man arrived in front of you, you could actually see him? Yes, I had, you know, and I've been, you know, I work with clients in this similar way in the sense that I take them through a very thorough inventory and look at what is it that you're doing over and over? What are these patterns? And I help people to find someone who is outside because it is a third person. I think that's the problem is people get stuck in this duality of that weird sort of unattractive person that worships them. You know, that guy? Oh, like yeah. the one who's just like calling you and texting well, you and like mushy, swing, right? It's like it's like yeah. it's, it's the false dichotomy between these two, like the the two sides of the same like non-working coin. You know, we we do get yes. stuck there. It's so true. But it's always like someone who's super not your type, not your type, whatever that looks like for you. I know what that looks like for me. I had so many of those guys around who love me you, who adore you, worship me, adore me, <laughs> want to be with me, want to marry me, will do anything for me, blah, blah, blah. And then there was like the unavailable, unattainable bad boy. Conf- I wasn't even into, into bad boys so much. I was really into confused boys. Like as the more confused you were, the better. And uh, aloof and confused was my thing. Oh God, just could, I could, mm, I could go with that forever. Even for years, I still sometimes would see a person who embodied that look. Like they just had that look of that aloof, confused unavailableness. And I would still see it and be like, God, I really used to dig on that. Like it was just so yummy like just the it's, level it's so funny because like it's so subjective because like that is my absolute nightmare i've never <laughs> found it attractive i'm like ew gross i've always gone for i'd say super psychologically challenged powerful men <laughs> like a very like in a suit like it's like so funny so mm-hmm. like everyone mm-hmm. has their own subjective yeah. thing right like like and if you're listening yours won't look like mine or be it's like that's why you have totally. to look at your own bullshit and map it out for yourself because you're going to have your own personal flavor totally mine was basically like the guy from sex lives and videotape J- james spader's character you know like someone who's like really skinny and kind of looks like a girl but like also is filming you while you're having sex with him and then like having long conversations with you about like the meaning of sexuality, whatever, like that was my guy. And I just found James Spader over and over and over and over. I was like, oh God, I, I thought maybe one day I would like actually end up with James Spader. Cause I was like, this like you're is- like just in going towards the ultimate archetype. <laughs> you're like, you're the ultimate representation of it. So, <laughs> so you have to look at people to help them get out of that false dichotomy and find what you call it, a third person. I do. Yeah. So it's the 
it is the third person that is the thing that you know we all need to like focus on and remember right so there's there's the guy who is gross to us who worships us and then there's the and this also works from i've helped men with this as well i've worked with many many men where they tell me the exact same story there's the unattainable girl that breaks their heart and they keep finding her and then there's the one that follows them around like a puppy dog and they just them away right so that dichotomy it's finding that third person because my husband is like it's a third person it's not it's neither of those it wasn't like one day i was like you know what i'm just gonna marry the short bald jewish guy like you know what i mean like it wasn't like i had to change my entire type my husband is my type. I mean, he's just a little bit different in the sense that he's very handsome. And I think that it's actually interesting. So I think the universe wants for us something better than we would want for ourselves. Not that James Spader isn't handsome. I'm just saying that I wanted something very particular. I wanted someone who looked like they were on the brink of death, emaciatedly skinny, and like very bookwormy and very unemotional. And I ended up with a man who's very masculine, tall, looks kind of like George Clooney meets Ryan Gosling and isn't quiet and confused. He's like very talkative and social and people love him and know him. These are things that I wouldn't have noticed before because it was this third option and it just didn't work. It, it wasn't either. It wasn't like the weird dude who was stalking me and it wasn't the unattainable skinny guy that was like, maybe gay it was this third guy you know that's that's amazing right and then you think like again to visibility when you're stuck between just these two experiences like i hear from people like well all i attract is this all i experience is this right yeah and so you know, understanding that that's probably more to do with our vision than the fact that there's no one out there that <laughs> that has yeah. this third way right correct mm. so then i'll ask you you know like if you know you would talk to somebody who is trying to get out of that stuck in, two, in those between the two things they've they say they know their pattern they've kind of identified their bullshit they've written it out you know mm. what would you advise them as a next step once they've seen what their patterns are how can they take a step towards like, getting out and seeing the third type of person you know it's interesting that you say that because i was just working with a client recently who's really stuck in this thing and just unwilling to see like just unwilling to actually admit that they're doing the thing again and again. And um, I think the most important thing, again, is to find someone who you can hear, someone who is outside you, another person who can see you from outside you and tell you, this is what you're doing. And then have it be someone you're willing to actually hear. Because if it's not someone you're willing to hear, or if you're not willing to hear, you're just going to keep fighting for this same thing. I mean, like, you know, it's so interesting. I know the pattern, but I'm not doing that anymore. It's like, you are doing that. No, you I, mean, are I doing honestly, it. like, I, I literally, I was married and did a beautiful conscious uncoupling, but you know, my, you know, my ex-husband was just too much older. He had kids already, like all the reasons why we broke up. And then I went on to date someone who was older, had three kids, like the same and wow. I swear, I was like, no, it's different. Like how willing I was to negotiate wow. and stand up for like, it's not a repeating a pattern. And everyone's like, wow. it's literally repeating a pattern. I'm like, it's not literally. I, how? And, I'm like, <laughs> and it is so funny because like I was, I think probably where your client was, which was like unwilling to own or see that I was repeating it. Um, it, took, and it, took, it took to really understand 
why I picked that archetype. Like when I finally understood why I was picking that archetype, I was able to be like, oh, and not do it again, right? But it was so funny because, you know, when you look at each single person to you as the picker, you're like, this is a totally different type of person. <laughs> like you can argue for that. And that's why I have so much compassion when people say, well, no, no, I'm not repeating a loop. And you can be like, your last three partners have the same stats, like the same key stats on, you know, and the reason why you left your last partner, this person has all those characteristics, right? But it's, it is a yeah. challenge. Like it's not as, it's not as easy as it sounds when you talk about it. Like I really, it's, it's, it's a powerful and important piece of work. I think that we do for ourselves to get free. I would say that there, another key component was spirituality though, right? Like, so turning to outside sources, to find a romance between me and my soul. Because once I had that solid foundation, because what I needed before I got together with my husband was a sense deep within me that I was not single. The idea that I still was looking for a man or looking for someone to just be like, oh, be yet, she's the one. I, I still needed that. I just wanted someone to see me and say, she's the one, she's my one, whatever, whatever I needed. I wanted that my whole life and nobody would give it to me. And then when I found it in the universe and source and I found it and I, I decided that nobody was going to now give that to me. Like I was going to feel that completely before, before I ever got. So I actually had a crush on Christoph. Like him and I were buddies. We were friends. We had a friend group and I'd see him at dinners and whatever. And I got this huge crush on him. And I was like, oh my God, he's the one. And I did what I always did with men when I would fall for them, which is I would, I objectified him. And I thought to myself, oh my God, he's so cute. And I like gossiped with my girlfriends about him. And I did things that were all the same things I used to do. And I saw the pattern and I was like, I think that if I'm going to do this with him, and if he's really the one, I think I'm going to need to back up and not do this. And so I backed up. I stopped objectifying him. I used a technique that I think I came up with on my own. No one gave this to me. Like, it wasn't like a teacher came down and said, why don't you do this? It was just like someone had said something and it resonated to me. I was like, okay, I'm going to treat him like a child. This was a secret that I came up with treating men like children. So, if, so for instance, Christoph, if I saw him like a six-year-old, how would I treat him differently from if I saw him as like a hot 29-year-old, which I think he was at the time, right? So, and, and what, 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 what was the difference? How do you, how did you treat him? I treated him like a child of God. Like I was kind, I was generous, I was playful, I was funny, but I wasn't like, looking at his package like I wasn't like checking him out and eating him up like a wolf in the wilderness and I think that something about it wasn't just him too I decided to treat all men and and women and stop objectifying everyone and numbering them I don't know if you've ever done that but I'd be like he's an eight he's a ten that's a nine that's a seven like I just numbered people and I objectified them I talked about parts of their body I ripped them apart I would have brunches with girls and you know have fun with that and I made a decision a conscious decision to stop objectifying people objectifying men and objectifying women and with that came this new treatment of people like children so I treated him like a child 
And we became friends. And I really had a very different experience with him once I treated him like a child, which was very innocent. It was very not like meow, let's sex text each other. Like it was very, you know, cute and playful like children. Like, you know, like I see my toddler now playing with other toddlers, very innocent. And after about a year of this, I was like, I really know this person now. Like we'd had a lot, he came to, I was in an off-Broadway musical that year, he came. I was performing in a show. I remember I did like some kind of rock and roll show with Adrian Granier, he came. I did something else, I had a party, he came. Everything I did, he would come, but he never flirted with me and he never looked at me from the neck down. Like he just treated me like a child of God. And I treated him like a child of God. Honestly, I thought he was gay at first. Like I was like, why are you not getting how hot all this is, you know? And then because we had this strong foundation, once I really was like ready to date him, I just told him, I was like, I really think you should ask me out on a date. And he was like, what? Like he was so confused because again, we had had this relationship that wasn't sexual at all. And so he turns to me and he's like, well, I really don't want to fuck this up. You know, like you, he's like, I love you and I respect you. And I was like, you know, a girl doesn't want to hear that. You know what I mean? And I was just like, well, I was like, that sounds great. I was like, but totally, you should totally ask me out on a date as well. And so he had a mentor at that time and he went back to his mentor and he was like, listen, I think like Viet has a crush on me. And his mentor was like, I think everyone knows that because like he knew me. Um, and his, and he was like, well, I don't think I should date her, you know, cause she's like, really like, I love her. And his mentor said to him, well, that's really cool. Like you love her. That's, that's interesting. Like, it seems like that's nice. Like that would be like a good thing. He's like, do you want to fuck her? And that's what the mentor said to my husband. And my husband was like, well, yeah. And he's like, so you, let me get this straight. You love her, you respect her and you want to fuck her. <laughs> and my husband was like, well, yeah. And he's like, that sounds awesome. You should really take her on that date then. <laughs> exactly. But he, because he was also wired, like many of the people who we're talking to in the show today, he couldn't put the pieces together because I wasn't a bitch and he'd only dated bitches before me. And he was like, I am not computing. I don't see this woman. She's hot. She's brilliant. She's this, she's that, but it's just too much. That's just too much. It's too good to be true, right? So we're blindsided to the thing that's too good to be true. And he was, and so was I. So because we both did the work before we got together, we were able to put those walls aside and actually come together. That is such a, that is such a beautiful story. And it, it makes so much mm -hmm. sense think in the context of like doing something different to create something different, right? And being willing to, I love the idea of being willing to see people as a child of God. I mean, even, mm -hmm. even just while dating, like one of the techniques we've been sharing and talking about is like, stop going on a date and looking at the person like, what is this person going to give me? And go on the date being like, whoa, I get to interact with like another soul today. How interesting. Yeah. I get to ask some questions and learn about a new perspective of life and really like bringing mm. back like the honoring of souls back into our dating lives. Cause you're right. We strip each other down to, I like to say like we dismember each other by objectifying each other. And like, that is in some ways we think it's so gory and it's so dehumanizing, right? That's, that is a beautiful, so thank you for sharing that story with us. And, you know, one last question before we jump off, which is, you know, if you could wave a magical wand and instantly teach everyone out there who's single and dating, looking for love, one thing, instantly, what would you teach them? 
That's a good question. Um, I think, you know, I think the number one thing I would teach is just that if you feel like you need someone, if you're looking outside yourself to find a partner, you're never going to find them. And it really is the same law of attraction for money, power, success in your career. It's all the same. When it comes to attracting something, you must be that thing. So like to me, before I was with my husband, I was already married. I was already loved on, worshipped. Like I had everything. And when he came along and he gave it to me and he continues to give it to me every single day for now, you know, 13 and a half years, like I don't, it's not that I expect it or demand it or need it. I literally, it's an, a byproduct of the fact that I am that. I am a woman who is loved and worshiped and desired. And like there's, once you get to that point too, you don't even think, oh, well, if this fell apart, how could I ever find this again? You realize that you are this thing. You really are. You're an embodiment of someone who there's nothing less could possibly enter, you know? That's I don't know if that makes sense, but no, that's that, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And I think speaking to the idea of why, you know, getting healthy and whole in whichever way it is for each person is so important. And ha like you said, having that connection with whether you say God, the universe, having something that is juicy and filling you up. So there's not like the space of lack and desperation is so key. Amazing. Well, so thank key. you, Bet, so much for jumping on and kind of like walking us through some of your story and, and what you've learned working with people and yourself about healthy love and how we can create it. Thanks for joining and listening to this conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you are single and you are ready for something better, do check out what I've built with Levette. We're offering a free month trial and you can get a real sense for, you know, how this is such a different kind of platform. It's 100% video, 100% vetted, like actual background checks, and 0% BS. We've even built in an amazing automated anti-ghosting system. I really designed Levette as a conscious response to so much of, you know, I'd say the disruptive and antisocial behaviors I saw in dating. And so this is an amazing virtual social club where you can meet and play with people who are on the same page, playing by the same rules. It is so much fun inside. So if you're single and want to check it out, make sure you go to the show notes below and start your application. 